0: The Earth's population is growing, and to accommodate the growing need for homes, the built environment will have to increase with the speed of adding one New York City each month. But the built environment is responsible for 40% of energy-related CO2 emissions globally. This presents an incredible challenge.
1: Well, key is always, of course, yet again, knowledge sharing and understanding how you can actually build upon the knowledge from one market or one project to another. Looking at all these different solutions that are available, the expertise and knowledge that we do have, as for now, I think it's pretty clear that we can state that we should raise our expectations of what the building or what the built environment can do for you.
0: A large portion of the carbon emissions in the construction sector stems from materials. Innovations toward more sustainable materials, particularly steel, cement, asphalt, and glass, are therefore crucial to move us forward on the journey toward low carbon construction. So what innovations exist and how do we scale them? In which areas or materials can we see the biggest potential? You're listening to Shaping Sustainable Places, a new podcast by Skanska. We're here to recognize, encourage, and inspire stakeholders in the industry and beyond to accelerate the transition to a more sustainable, resilient, low carbon built environment. In each episode, we'll be speaking with industry leaders, policymakers, and other champions of change to explore innovative solutions to very real challenges. Today, our host, Charlie Sacchetti is joined by three industry experts to discuss and explore innovations in construction materials. They'll talk about low-carbon building materials, circularity, the importance of life-cycle analysis, and how to implement and scale solutions. To help us understand where the industry is and where we need to go, Charlie talks to Lena Hook, Executive Vice President for Sustainability and Innovation with Skanska Group. And he starts by asking Lena about Skanska's progress in these areas.
1: So it's about to focus on the whole life cycle. And for Skanska and our carbon emissions, when you look into them, our own carbon emissions, they are about 10% of our total carbon emissions. And those we've been able to reduce with about 50% for the past six years. But about half of our carbon emissions actually comes from the material that is being used for construction. And then roughly the rest then is when it comes to the energy needs for the usage of the buildings that we do build. And that's through their lifespan of 50 years. Having that mental image, is actually telling us the need for us to focus on the impact that is on what we are building. That is scope three, materials and energy efficiencies.
2: Green buildings, The green building movement is one phrase, but then sustainability maybe is a bigger umbrella. Within your role at Skanska, can you tell us what else is under the sustainability umbrella? Is it not just the green construction that you put out, but maybe is it also your own impact, your global impact, your offices? What else do you have to keep an eye on for Skanska sustainability?
1: For all that are working with sustainability, there are the key focus areas when it comes to acting responsibly. For example, health and safety is at our core to focus at, as well as environmental responsibility, acting fair and ethically, as well as having a diverse and inclusive work environment. Beyond that, we also have the opportunity to make sure that whatever we do, We are being part of a more positive impact when it comes to resource efficiencies, circular solutions, energy efficiencies in what we build, as well as the connectivity to health.
0: So what are circular solutions and circularity, and how do they affect the industry? Circularity is all about materials that are fed back into the production process after their initial lifespan ends. In a circular economy, when the original user is finished with a product or material, it is worked back into the supply chain, rather than going to a landfill.
2: When we look at circular materials, but we really also need to make sure they're low carbon, what are you seeing out there?
1: There is quite a new opportunity to actually drive towards near or net zero when it comes to the materials. So let me take one example from the innovations of Scanscan. So we've been looking into asphalt. Asphalt, you should know, when it comes to the built environment, Bitumen being used in asphalt, it's quite high intensity when it comes to carbon. So there's really need for a low carbon solution here. So what Skanska has done is actually we have developed this low carbon or near zero asphalt. And we have done that by combining several solutions. So in short, we are using biofuels, we're using green energy, we are also using a biobinder so we can exchange the bitumen. And also we are Actually, doing a circular solution, reusing part of the existing asphalt that's usually there on a road when we are paving it. All in all, by adding all these solutions to each other, we are actually achieving a near zero asphalt. And it is actually probably the first near zero asphalt in the world. And I'm happy to say that we have paved the way with this asphalt on several roads in Sweden. I just hope to be able to scale it also on other markets.
2: And so the material selections, let's go there next. We're seeing a lot more lifecycle models. Do we leave it up to the structural engineers to choose low carbon concrete and timber frame structure? Or, Or maybe you as a large construction company, are you involved earlier on those discussions? Not just the buildings you develop, but how about the buildings that you're hired to build for someone else? Do you try to get involved earlier in these discussions?
1: We do know we can contribute to quite a high degree if we are being part of those early discussions because key is in the design or the planning phase that you are setting forth what kind of impact do you aim for? And that's where just by the choosing of design, you can have a lot of efficiencies being done, but of course, being cautious about and understanding the carbon impact when you choose materials. So one aspect is circular solutions and circular use of materials, also low carbon solutions on materials. And key for all of this is actually that you have to know the impact, you have to know the carbon emissions of whatever you choose. has worked quite a lot when it comes to actually putting forth a tool to the market at the US market. We call it the EC3, the Embodied Construction Carbon Calculator. And in that tool, we have made it open source and have thousands of environmental product declarations, so that is the carbon emissions of a diverse amount of materials. So any architect, any engineer, or any customer, or anyone at Skanska or our competitors can actually use this tool and being able to compare different kinds of carbon footprints by using different kinds of materials. So I would say Key is also to have the design competence as well as the knowledge early on when you start to, to choose and design a building.
2: That's a great point. That's a great tool. Selena, when we're doing these life cycle models and we're using a tool like EC3, it's one thing on the steel, if it's a steel building, but how about on the concrete? It's such a big impact. So can you tell us a little bit about low carbon concrete? What does that mean to you?
1: Yeah, so today, there are actually low carbon concrete where you are able to reduce the carbon emissions by approximately half. And that means, of course, an excellent material to use. However, in order to be able to scale, you also need to have the knowledge of how to apply it and how to use the low carbon concrete. And that's why me getting back to the importance of insight and knowledge when it comes to actually doing this shift. I just visited some weeks ago a project in Houston and another project in Central Europe that were amongst the first in their region to actually applying low-carbon concrete. And I was asking them about what was the biggest challenge and if they find it being more costly. And they concluded it was not. Once they understood how to use it and could actually set forth in the very beginning in the planning of the process, being able to understand how to apply it and how to plan accordingly. Because at times it takes a longer time for this kind of concrete to dry out. So getting back to having excellent solutions, it's also about to have the expertise and the knowledge of how to use it and then to scale.
2: Wow, yeah, where are the incentives? Smart planning, it can be done and you're doing it.
0: Skanska has been innovating for several years in the development of low carbon materials, in particular concrete and asphalt. Another major player in circularity are material suppliers. So Charlie sat down with Magali Anderson, Chief Sustainability and Innovation Officer at Wholesome, a wholesale building materials supplier with a focus on sustainability and renewable energy. They've gone so far as to create sustainable concrete called EcoPact and a low carbon cement called EcoPlanet. Magali is an engineer by trade who moved into the supply chain and sustainability sector. The business and technology challenges around creating sustainable materials excite her. And she is a firm believer in the fact that sustainability and innovation go hand in hand.
3: So, for example, you have several ways to reduce the CO2 of your cement on the making. One is replace the fossil fuels that is used to heat up the kiln to 1450 degrees. So that's about one third of, of the emission linked to our scope one, and we do that by replacing it by fossil fuels, by waste, biomass, etc. And the second one is to replace the clinker, so what comes out of the kiln, which is called clinker, and you mix clinker with something to become cement. And that cement, well today we have a clinker factor of 70%. So that means 30% is not clinker, and those 30% are byproducts
0: from the industry, such as slag and fly ash. Clinker is a mix of limestone and minerals that are heated in a kiln and become transformed by that added heat. It's the main ingredient in cement and is directly related to the CO2 emissions that are generated in cement production. This is due to the combustion of fuels as well as the decomposition of limestone in the clinker manufacturing process. One of the very first steps toward making cement more sustainable is to replace that clinker with something else. So if you could
2: speak to the additional products, circularity, what's recyclable, and that part of our green movement.
3: On our product itself, our product is already very circular. The cement we sell today has a circularity ratio of 24%. So if you think that the world is 8% circular, our cement is three times more circular than the world. Because circularity and decarbonization in our industry is completely linked. So, for example, in France, in a plant called Atkirch, not far from the border with Germany, we actually made Klinker. We made that beginning of this year, made of 100% recycled content. It's a first. It's never been done before by anybody.
2: That's really brilliant. I love that.
3: That's one way to see it. But if you take circularity further, you have to look at what is the end of life of our own product. And this is where the cement and concrete is recyclable infinitely, which is the beauty of it. So you take the concrete, you grind it, and put it back in cement and make cement again with it. And this is wonderful. We do it in Switzerland today. Our sustainable product contains 20% of what we call construction demolition waste. We only do it in Switzerland because that's the only country today where the norms allows it. But we are working with the EU, and normally by the end of this year, the other European countries are going to adopt that norm, so we'll be able to deploy it everywhere. So, there's circularity of our own product. And the last part of circularity, of circular economy, which I think is even more interesting, is to think of circular by design. How do you build more with less? How do you use 3D printing to print something with half or even less content of cement for the same purpose, the same performance? And that we are doing, for example, we have a partnership to build the fit of the spheres. And not only we use half of the cement or half of the CO2, but also we make the sphere taller, which means that the output in terms of electricity is about 25% additional. So I think so circularity, you really need to look at the full thing.
0: The work that wholesome is doing on circular cement and concrete, reducing the carbon emissions that come with producing traditional cement, could have a positive impact on the entire industry. Another material responsible for significant emissions where innovation can reduce the impact is glass. To discuss this, Charlie sits down with Emmanuel Normand, the Vice President of Sustainable Development at saint gobain another building supplier that has been around since the 19th century and are also working toward reducing their carbon emissions. And a large part of reducing the environmental impact of their production is to analyze the life cycle of their materials as well as come up with methods that will make those materials more circular.
2: Are there any breakthroughs with reducing emissions? Can you give us a couple examples of some innovative things you're doing?
4: Okay, so first I will talk about CO2. Saint-Gobain is having a significant footprint, being intensive in energy to produce glass in particular. You need energy. Up to now, we have not understood how to produce glass without energy. But we are understanding more and more how we can produce glass without CO2. So we have a commitment as a group to be carbon neutral by 2050. We have a Milestone, which is in 2030, to reduce our scope one and two emissions or so direct emissions by 33 percent compared to a baseline which is 2017 in absolute terms also offsetting potential growth that we will have up to 2030 and we have also a target to address our value chain emission or scope three emission by 16 percent between 17 and 2030. How to get there? There are some immediate levers, which are to work on the energy efficiency of our processes, to work on circularity. If I take an example, whenever we replace one ton of verging raw materials to produce glass by one ton of recycled glass that we call collet, we reduce by 350 kilo or direct emission. So there's a very strong link between circularity and CO2, but we have to. Levers on which we act by 2030, and in addition to that, what we are implementing are proof of concept that it is possible to produce zero carbon for all our main processes, providing, in general, we have available green energy. And typically, we did last May the first worldwide production of zero carbon production of glass. Being a glass that is zero carbon in Scope 1 and 2, still having some CO2 which is related to its Scope 3, but a production that we did during one week, working 100% with recycled glass, 100% with biogas, 100% with clean electricity. That has been a worldwide premiere. It has worked. It required quite a a significant R&D before. And this example, we want to apply it all across the board of solutions that Saint-Gobain is developing.
2: Bravo. That's an amazing breakthrough. And I know that probably requires significant infrastructure investment. So in some regions around the world, do you have recycling centers? Do you welcome some product back in? Or is it your sourcing to bring in recycled materials to start with?
4: There again, the solution is not the same in every country. To be able to collect back, to develop recycling services, it's very dependent, first on the regulation in one country, and second, in the local ecosystem who are the players, who are they organized, what are the chain to bring back waste and to collect them. So it varies. In some countries, we are developing the services by ourselves. And in more and more countries, we are developing services, collecting services by ourselves, being for plasterboard, being for insulation, being for gas, being for roofing or sidings product in North America. In other places, or for some of our businesses, we are partnering with third parties. We are also increasingly, with these third parties, not only having a commercial partnership, but also getting a share of those players. So we are learning. We are clearly learning on what is the most efficient way to develop those services, to provide that service to our customers, and on our side, to secure the access to this gold mine of uh, tomorrow, which is the recycled building materials. So
2: a lot of this relates to embodied carbon. In different parts of the world, people define that differently. Here in the United States, it's not just the material, right, carbon, and you're doing a great job reducing your impact to produce, but it's also the supply chain, the transportation,
0: the during construction phase. Embodied carbon refers to the carbon emissions that are associated with the materials, processes, manufacturing and transportation, and many other aspects required for a product or construction project. It is directly related to the life cycle analysis, a method used to evaluate and analyze the environmental impact of a product throughout its production use and eventual disuse.
4: The rule of the game is life cycle analysis. This lifecycle analysis is being defined through standards and Saint-Gobain is applying the existing standards, which ISO standards and EN standards, to develop lifecycle analysis for its product. We have given ourselves the target that by 2030, all our product lines will be covered with life cycle analysis, third-party verified, made public in order to be available all across the value chain. Up to now, it's already more than 50% of the turnovers of Saint-Gobain that is being covered by Doos Life Cycle Analysis. It's more than 1,800 environmental product declaration EPDs that we have published all, all across the world. And obviously, it's covering the whole chain from cradle to grave, and that in all the geographies across the world.
2: So some programs like LEAD, Brain, millie Brignat, they may want us to focus on this more but those are only certain types of projects. How do we really make sure, though, there's more life cycle work done? Is it just a continuing education here to the developers, again to the design team? Do you see it picking up in the regions you work? The life cycle
4: analysis. Very clearly, it's starting with the top. It's starting, yes, with those projects that require certification, a lead, Briam, or others, depending on geographies point which is important is that it's
0: happening all across the world. LEED, which stands for Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design, and BREAM, the Building Research Establishment Environmental Assessment Method, are green building rating systems. Both evaluate buildings in terms of the efficiency in which they use natural resources and then their impact on the health of humans and the environment.
4: You have very important projects, significant projects in Uh, Middle East, in U.S., in Brazil, really all across the world. So it's not just a question of developed countries, all across the board. Beyond those projects that are requesting labels, there's a significant role of regulation. And clearly, we will make further progresses if life cycle analysis or at least carbon information is requested by regulation. If public authorities are including in their public purchasing the fact that building products needs to have life cycle analysis, it's clearly the case. For example, in California, all building materials needs or have a life cycle analysis if being publicly purchased. So regulation will have a core role to make it mainstream.
0: Partnerships and collaboration are becoming more and more important as the world moves towards sustainability. Magali touches on this along with why there needs to be better cooperation between companies working toward the same goal to reduce carbon emissions. As she explains, the commercial relationship has to change so that businesses can be both profitable and sustainable. Magali also speaks on what collaboration will have to look like in order for it to work.
2: Is your eco-planet, your green concrete, is it usually specified by the architect and the structural engineer, or is it contractors like Skanska saying, hey, consider this product? How are these conversations happening so that we're actually using that concrete?
3: I think that's an excellent point you are raising up. I think it depends on the countries, depends on the maturity of the relationship between our clients and us. If we are only talking, let's say, to the procurement guy of Skanska because he needs to buy concrete, and I go and see him and say, hey, would you like to buy my EcoPact instead of my normal concrete? And then I might negotiate a bit the price with him, and we will stop there. At that point, because we are making so much advertising about EcoPact, we managed to sell, like I said, now we are more than 10%. So we managed to sell it that way. But I think what is even more interesting, if we had a discussion at the prescription level or at the design level, because today we have a project, for example, with ETH University, to do a flooring system which uses, which is basically almost 80 percent less CO2, because it uses not only less semen, but also less reinforcement. It's basically using artificial intelligence to put the material at the exact base it needs for the different forces to be at the right way. But myself, if you only come to me to buy the cement, I will never sell you my my innovative flooring system. Why would I? Because then you're going to buy me only much less cement that I want to sell to you. So that relationship needs to change because we now need, if we collaborate and if you tell me, okay, but I'm not going to buy you cement, I'm going to buy you a full flooring system, then now we are talking. So not only I will be incentivized to put as little as possible, For the same performance, we still want a flowing system that's working, obviously, but I will be completely incentivized to do it. So I think the commercial relationship has to change. And it's something that it's more on the paper for the moment that existing, but we are starting to pilot in some countries. And we're working with the marketing and sales team on that. Because it requires completely, not just different skills, but
2: it requires to engage the entire value chain. I was about to ask, how does all this scale? And you said the incentives, what's in it for each party and each stakeholder, but also the conversation needs to change. But earlier with these decision makers, just because we did it this way and that's easier and I know what that costs, it's time to have different conversations. So maybe that is my follow-up though. All these good deeds you're doing, what will it really take to win, say over the next five years with some of your innovative products? What do you need to be even more successful? the magic stick is all, always
3: the legislation, right? And that's why I know I usually don't like to mention it because the magic stick is the quickest, but it's also the hardest. You don't want people to start choosing that as an excuse not to act. So for sure, if tomorrow morning there was some strong requirement for low carbon construction, from a legal point of view, from the norms, etc., etc., et, cetera, et cetera, things would go much faster. i give you a very silly example. In Switzerland here, I mentioned the norm for the sustainable cement, but also landfilling is forbidden. Maybe it's not forbidden, but it's so expensive that it's completely derogatory. There's a number of countries where, as I said, we need a lot of waste for our operation to decarbonize our operation. We can't put our hand in the waste because just the transport to our facility costs more than landfilling. So this type of flow, that CO2, et cetera, would be extremely great help. But... If I move away from the legal, because again, it's kind of the easy answer and it's it's something we need to do. We need to push governments to, to go there. That's why we have the cops. That's why we have all this organization. But it just don't stop us from innovating. And I think what we are trying to do with Edelio, our head of innovation, is partnering with organizations like Skanska to invent that model, to pilot it, to show that it can work. And then it's not going to scale it, but at least once we show it can work, we can have to scale it. So I love building objects myself. So with Adelio, we, we try to build a lot of things together with different organizations to show that we, what we can do via our innovation.
2: Oh, amazing. You've lived on multiple continents. Your company produces products in multiple continents. What's the world outlook here as we move towards net zero or one day regenerative design? Are there certain places that are leading? If you could just give us a global outlook. Of, are you hopeful? Are we making progress?
3: Let's say not every geography is equal, right? So that says the question about it. Obviously, Europe has been taking a strong stand on sustainability for years now. So clearly, Europe is well advanced with all the type of incentives that have been put in place. However, like I was saying, when we put in place our eco-pact, one region that took it up super fast was actually India. So you would tend to think that India, maybe the people are not that interested by decarbonation, but you see actually them doing a lot there. Maybe the legal framework is not there yet, but there's a lot of wheels to make things happen. Some of the countries that you hear the most about these days when it comes to sustainability are countries like Saudi. You know, countries where are um, big oil makers and you don't necessarily relate the name of that country to sustainability. So I think, yes, of course, definitely Europe is in advance. I think there's no, not even a point to discuss it. But I wouldn't necessarily say that the other countries are not trying. Maybe differently, but you realize that it's quite a lot you can do outside Europe because people do have that
0: will to progress. As Magali tells us, there is reason to hope that countries outside of Europe are working towards sustainability, circular production, and carbon neutrality. There is hope and we are making progress. So what's the key that's going to help us knock down those proverbial geographical borders? To unlock this challenge and explore the solution, we come back to Lena.
1: Well, key is always, of course, yet again, knowledge sharing and understanding how you can actually build upon the knowledge from one market or one project to another as well as where is the customer offering where is the customer appetite for it we do have some amazing projects and concepts like the powerhouse concept in norway that we have been able to reproduce within norway but that's of course have an enormous potential also internationally so powerhouse is a building where we are actually in the building, producing more energy than what is needed through its whole lifespan, including energy needed to produce the material, the construction phase, as well as operating the building for 50 years. These kinds of concepts, so every building is to a part unique, but as well to understand the different concepts and understand the need for that for clients, as well as a different markets. I would say that is key.
2: Thank you for sharing. What another great case study you've had a hand in. It sounds like it's net positive, it's regenerative, and that's where we want to end up with our buildings.
1: I should also add that we are doing that in a partnership with others. It's not just us. It's together with the architecture firm Snehafta, for example, amongst others. And maybe that's key also to innovation, to understand that the complexity of today, the innovative solutions is in many times possible to make visible as well as to take to the market by actually contributing and cooperating across different companies and industries because that's the kind of knowledge being needed.
2: What are some other innovations, maybe even outside of Skanska, that you're excited about here in the sustainability movement?
1: I have to say that at times, the innovations that we do need for tomorrow are already here. But what we do need is actually being able to scale them. I do see innovations when it comes to, for example, using digital tools as well as artificial intelligence in a way to, in a much more efficient and focused way, being able to use heavy machinery. By that, actually, higher efficiencies, less fuels or energy being used, as well as higher safety on sites. Those kinds of tools on how you operate in a smarter way, we can see how we can actually reduce emissions and resources to quite a high degree. You may say that when focusing on innovations and climate, is also like a turbo for a lean kind of way of working. You just see it from another angle.
2: Lena, if you look at all these solutions in totality, uh, what do you think could be the impact on our market?
1: Looking at all these different solutions that are available, the expertise and knowledge that we do have, as for now, I think it's pretty clear that we can state that we should raise our expectations of what the building or what the built environment can do for you. It can contribute to better health. It can contribute to stronger resiliencies for society when it comes to extreme weather events. It can also be something that do not detract energy from the grid, but it's actually producing power and energy and adding on and sharing its energy. We can, by using this kind of mindset of raising the expectation of what a building can do, I think we could go miles from here when it comes to a more positive sustainable impact because the built environment is shaping society and it's our role to make sure that we have a long-term positive impact when we do so.
2: Last question. So if we had a world outlook There's still work to do here, but how are we doing with sustainable advancement, kind of working towards net zero? What do you see? You get to work in several different regions, several different countries. Are you seeing the progress we need? How's the world outlook right now?
1: I would say, of course, in the current situation where we have a world that is quite in another stage than we were just a couple of years ago, where we have inflation, we have energy crisis, we have hostilities and war going on. It is more needed than ever that companies actually do know about their values and what they stand for and what we and how we contribute. It is important that we do our fair part, so to speak. Having that said, I do see in several parts also how regulators are acknowledging the important role of corporations to do their part. We do see it on when it comes to, for example, the focus on climate disclosures, as well as public procurement being steered towards sustainability requirements a lot when it comes to a just and green transition. We see it in the EU, of course, with the EU taxonomy, but also when it comes to the US and their Inflation Reduction Act, how they are actually spurring and incentivizing companies to come up and put forth their solution at the market. I think that is key. It has to be a combination, of course, of regulators giving some kind of framework and incentives, but foremost companies coming up with the solutions, being business smart, making those the most attractive ones and actually serving the needs that are on the market because that's what business is doing at its best. If you just add on that sustainability lens, understanding the sustainability impact when you are delivering towards the market, towards your customers, that's when actually business can be a part of contributing to A better world and that's really much needed
0: this podcast is brought to you by skanska a world leading project development and construction group using knowledge and foresight to shape the way we live from hospitals to homes airports to offices train lines tunnels power plants and plazas the important buildings and infrastructure we create help to heal house connect entertain and energize people and communities go to skanska.com to learn more Thank you for listening to this episode of Shaping Sustainable Places. With efforts around the world towards reducing the impact on the climate and the environment, we are seeing some clear development in the shift toward more sustainable building materials. We heard today about a clear focus on circularity and what more needs to be done to expand its reach. We learned how innovations in both the production and the use of materials Everything from energy consumption to design to transportation are reducing the embodied carbon and emissions over the complete life cycle. And we discussed how new partnerships, together with legislative change, can ensure that we can scale these solutions and get the most out of modern innovations, truly reducing climate impact. We'd like to give a special thank you to our industry experts, Lena Hook, Magali Anderson, and Emmanuel Norman for sharing their insights and time with us. To learn more, you can find links on innovation and construction, sustainable building materials, and any resources mentioned in today's show notes. If you're enjoying our show, please be sure to subscribe, leave us a five-star review, and come back every episode as we continue to explore Shaping Sustainable Places.